Welcome to the Dayspring Community Church Podcast. Check out our website at dayspringonline.org. And now, Dr. Matt Friedemann. It's going to be Acts 2, uh, 27 to 37. Uh, Caleb is an ordained elder of the Church of the Nazarene, and he's serving right now at Ohio Christian University as uh, a New Testament professor. So I thought... Uh, I thought it might be appropriate for him to come up and read for us, even though he doesn't know exactly what he's doing here. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at this, Caleb. It's, uh, it's going to be verse 37 down to the end of the chapter, 37. So let me real quick give you this, and I want to remind those of you who are listening by live stream, when we start serving communion, if you'd like to, we'd like for you to get in your car and come, and we're going to serve you communion here as you come in one by one, car by car, we're going to be serving you communion no one has to. No one has to feel pressure to do it. But if you'd like that, I'd sure feel it an honor to be able to serve a communion with you today. So just know that that's coming at the end of the service. So real quick, what this is about, remember, we're counting up the days to Pentecost. And Acts 2 is, of course, the day. And what an exciting day it is. Peter has just got done preaching. Uh, he stands up. He, he, he suggests that you have killed the Messiah. You killed him. And so they want to know, well, what are the implications of that? And it happens. They hear the implications of that, and they follow through with the implications. It's a great day. And we're going to celebrate that day, May 31st this year, but we're going to preach on it before then. We're going to continue to preach on it. So would you please stand in reverence to the Word of God as Dr. Caleb Friedemann reads to us from Acts. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, for speaking into our lives and giving us a written record of your will for us, of the mighty acts that you've done in human history. And so today, Lord, as we hear your word preached, we pray that you would come upon your servant and that you would speak to us through him, that the words that we hear in these next few moments would be your words to us, Lord, your will expressed for our lives. We pray that you would open our hearts to hear what's said to us and help us to receive it and to respond. Make us hearers and doers of your word. Amen. Well, you may be seated. Thank you. Thank you, Kim. So three great questions that happen on this day. One of them we didn't read about, but you can find that all the way back at verse 12. If you've got your Bible, you can just flip your page. And back at verse 12, something, a miracle has happened. They've been filled with the Spirit. They start speaking in tongues, known languages 
from around this geographical area. So all of a sudden now, they're hearing the gospel preached, they're hearing the gospel presented in their native languages, and it's just absolutely an amazing, amazing thing that happens. And so at the end of all that, in verse 12, they ask, what does this mean? Then, if you look to verse 37, the question is, all right, now that you've given us the fuller implications of what this means, what shall we do? And then, in verse 40, it says, hey, uh, and by the way, this is an inferred question, but what are the implications of this being saved? What does this mean? The title of this message this morning is Love Described. We'll get to that more towards the end. But the answer to this is, what does this mean? What shall we do? And what are the implications of being saved are carried forth from uh, about 37 and following. The first thing is simply repent. You need to repent. Now, the word in the Greek is metanoia. So say that word with me right now, metanoia. And metanoia means change. You need to change your life. Now, that's important because, listen, we have an evangelicalism today that has somehow promoted a gospel that suggests you can receive Jesus Christ and go to heaven. Once you're saved, you're always saved. And they never really talk about this is the radical change that Jesus wants to make in your life. And we've got to talk about the radical change. He wants to change us profoundly. Not just a little, but profoundly. And so this whole understanding of what does it mean to be saved, it means, first off, you must repent. You must change your life. Now, there was a researcher named Christian Smith. He wrote a book, pretty important book, called Soul Searching, The Religious and Spiritual Lives of American Teenagers. Now, for whatever it's worth, don't think that we're uh, pummeling teenagers today. I happen to think the day spring has some of the best teenagers in this nation. And we got a great program called the Dulas Program, the Carpe Diem Program, where, frankly, they're doing extraordinary things. I mean, things that are just absolutely incredible for the church and uh, the Lord's changing the world through their efforts. So I, I, I love our youth. But this, this book came out, and while I don't think it's representative of Dayspring youth, nonetheless, they said, this group of teenagers today have bought into something, and I think, you know, we helped them buy into it, but they bought into something called moralistic therapeutic deism. That's kind of a lofty thing. Moralistic means just do the right thing. Therapeutic means so that you can feel good. And deism is there's a God up there for sure, but he's not really involved in our life. So that's moralistic therapeutic deism. And the whole point here is we are in this faith to get good feelings from God. We're in this faith so we can feel happy, so we can have a wonderful self-esteem. We're in it for what we can get out of it. Now, one of the things he says is Christian Smith suggests that American teens actually pray a lot. Don't think they don't pray. They pray, but they're always praying for me and my situation. I'm thinking, well, that ain't just teenagers. That's us. We can talk about teenagers if we want, but we taught them that. What are we supposed to pray about? Well, whatever you're in the midst of right now, pray about that right now. Pray that God would help you in your situation today. That's basically not a bad thing. It's just bad if it stands alone. He says one thing they won't do, two things they won't do. 
what American teenagers don't do today, and I think by implication, most of the rest of us don't do today, is we do not adore Him. We do not take significant time every day simply to worship. Look into His face and admire and bless and glorify and magnify and extol. Listen, whatever you worship, that's what you tend to become like. And when you're all the time asking for things for you, pretty much you're worshiping you. And so what we want to say is, Lord, I want to come to you and I want to worship you. And I think the best way to do that is look at any passage of Scripture and begin saying, okay, for instance, from this passage today, I praise you that you're the God of repentance. I praise you that you're the God that can and wants to change us. I praise you that you're the God that forgives sins. And on it goes. We praise Him, and as we praise Him, we become like Him because we see Him as He is. We become holy as He is holy. We don't adore Him. And so that's why even at seminary, I I teach, when we teach a, a way to pray, I said, you need to make sure that a significant part, and probably the major part of your prayer life is adoration because for almost everybody in this country, the major part of our prayer life is asking Him for stuff. I'm going to tell you again, that's not wrong. It's just wrong when it stands alone, and it's wrong when it's the most dynamic of your prayer life. Now, what else don't we do? Well, we don't confess. You probably ought to have some time every day when you're thinking of your life, and you're thinking, have I messed it up? Let me go to God for this understanding of I've messed it up, and I need to repent. Lord Jesus, show me what I need to do to go back to that thing that I've done, and make it right. This place got quiet all of a sudden. Thanks, Dave. We, 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 were, we were nodding up and down and amen when we were talking about teenagers a minute ago. Now we all of a sudden got kind of... Listen, we don't adore him, and we don't say, I blew it, Lord. Help me to repent. Give me the grace to repent. Give me the grace to turn around and do something different. And God says, that is a substantial life of discipleship where you are indeed adoring me and you are repenting from your sins and you're asking God, how can I change my life? As you know, we have a model of discipleship around here and we ask you to grab one of these cards and say, all right, I want to look at scripture every day and with a group of people, all the better. I want to adore him. And number one is scripture. Number two is adoration. And number three is change. Now the two more steps Finally, you get down here to sit. Let me ask you for some things. But there are four prayer patterns. There's four actually study patterns before you ever get to, this is what I need. It's always amazing to me when you get the question number three, what do we need to change based on this passage, how the room just gets quiet. No one's ever thinking, man, I need to change. I need to do a whole different thing here. I need to do something substantially different than what I've been doing. And that means you need to repent. You need to change. You need to do something else. And you need God's grace in order to make it happen. I'm just saying, we need to be people of repentance. The second thing is this. It says, all right, so you're wanting to change. You're wanting to repent. You need to be baptized. And you need to get forgiven. Peter said to them, verse 38, Repent, each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, we've talked about that word baptizo quite a little bit here. But this word baptize 
in the Greek has the understanding of you're, we're dipping you down, and when you get dipped down into something, like we do over here from time to time, when you get dipped down, by the way, I believe you can be baptized any number of ways. Don't call me a heretic, but I think sprinkling can do it. God's not thinking, hey, you've got to do it my method, or you're, it's just not legit. I think you can sprinkle, I think you can pour, but I can just tell you what, day spring, we dip, we dunk, we go down. The reason is, I think the best way to feel overwhelmed is by going down. I don't feel quite overwhelmed when I'm sprinkled. Pour it? Well, it depends on how much you pour. Uh, at the prison, we, we like to pour it on heavy, but even at that, it's not quite the same. I'd love if we can to go down, because it, about 200 years before Christ, there was, a, there was a Roman poet that talked in terms of baptizo, but he used it for a pickle. So you stick a pickle, but it wasn't a pickle then, it was a cucumber. You stick a vegetable down into the vinegar, you dip it down, you overwhelm it with vinegar, and you let it stay there a while. When you bring it back up, it's not a cucumber anymore. It's a pickle. And I happen to like pickles. I'm a dill, man. How about you? Those gross things my mom and my Aunt Alita did, those sweet pickles, not me. No, 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 no. But dill, I'm in. All right? So, hey, make me up. Overwhelm a cucumber for me. I want to eat me some pickles now. But that's the word that was used, baptizo. You dip it down. Same thing for dye. We've talked about this before, but dye, you stick a piece of white cloth down into some blue dye, and you lift it back up. It's not white anymore. It's been overwhelmed by the blue. So I just want you to hear this. In the Great Commission, it says, hey, I want you to be overwhelmed by the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And Peter puts emphasis here on Jesus Christ because he says, that's the Jesus Christ that you crucified. So be overwhelmed with him. Be baptized into him. And oh, what a privilege it is. And it's transforming when we recognize our salvation in light of that. I kind of wanted to see his movie. I knew the language would be rough, and I knew it'd probably just be a rough, period. So I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. How many of you saw Revenant? Don't put, no, don't, don't do it. Don't put your hand up. See? Some of those holy people here just put their hand up. That really annoys me, all right? Revenant. It was a, I, I love the thought of the story. It's, it's, a, uh, it's a story, by the way, DiCaprio uh, played the part of Hugh Glass. And it's apparently a fur trapper who's attacked. And by the way, somewhat of a true story, they said. This is a true story. I like what they say. Based on a true story. What is that? It means, eh, I had a couple good ideas in there we used, which is what happened with this movie. We had an idea, but we just changed the whole thing. This is how the story goes. This fur trapper is attacked and severely wounded by a grizzly bear. Not good. Not a good day in a man's life. And his friends intentionally leave him for dead, but they murder his son before his eyes before they leave him. And so, according to the film's version of the story, Glass emerges from his grave and he treks 80 miles on foot to hunt down and kill the men who betrayed him. Now, most of us, you know, something that bad happened. I mean, they do that to me and they kill my son in front of my face and then they stick me in a hole. That's the kind of story you're thinking, yeah, revenge. Go get him, DiCaprio. Get him good. Kill him dead. That's what we want. That's what the movie was about. Problem is, it's not what happened. And what happened wasn't sexy enough, apparently, for Hollywood. Because what happened, 
According to film blogger Michael Punkney, in the real historical story, he travels all the way and ends up forgiving his betrayers. He actually, in the real story, he forgives them. And it is suggested that that forgiveness narrative (laughs) just would have been too boring for Hollywood. I'm thinking, yeah, too boring, unless you're the guy that he forgave. In other words, I'm about ready to shoot you dead. Not going to do it. I forgive you and walk away. That's pretty dramatic for me if I'm the guy being forgiven. And you're probably right. Maybe forgiveness isn't as sexy as revenge. We're not going for sexy here. We're going for holy. And it says here, I want you to know that you can be forgiven of whatever you have done. We want to baptize you, overwhelm you with Jesus Christ, and then we want you to know you can be forgiven no matter how ugly, how horrific your transgressions are. I, by grace, will forgive you of whatever. I will wipe your slate clean. I don't know. I'm going to tell you, I love this going out to the prison because we've got this catechism up. You know, we've got 125 questions we do in this catechism. And one of the questions is, uh, what does God know? Now, I wrote this catechism. Now, it was based on some other catechisms, and I, I, I copied some things, but that was the answer. One of the answers, was, everybody else said it, so let me just say it as well. What does God know? Well, God knows everything, right? So I'll go out to the prison, and I'll say, hey, 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 what does God know, guys? What does God know? And they'll say, everything. Say it with me. Everything. Say it again. Everything. I said, you're wrong. I say, well, what do you mean I'm wrong? And I want to answer that pretty quickly because, you know, I mean, the prisoners, I, I don't know what could happen next. So I say, okay, listen, I, I thought it was what you said too. I, I wrote down this answer in the catechism I was putting together, and I gave it to a buddy of mine, a guy named Bill Urey. I said, Dr. Urey, I said, could you look this over and change whatever needs, needs to be changed? And he changed four answers, and that was one of them. And he says, no, God knows everything he wants to know, which is the essence of forgiveness. We say, what? Everything, what, what, what? what? What's that even mean, everything he wants to know? Because he says this, lo, I will remember your sins no more. I mean, if there is, and I always think, you know, they talk about the book of life and the books up in heaven. I always think they've probably got, like we, you know, the technology's caught up. And now heaven has a screen up there. And we're all going to see our life story up there. And if I look up there, I'm going to think, okay, you know, I, I, I didn't do drugs and I didn't do alcohol, but I did some pretty bad things like we all have. And we're going to be looking up there and I'm going to think, oh, no, 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 not that thing, not that, no, 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 please, not that. And it's not going to be there. I'll ask the guy next to me, maybe Peter. I said, how come that thing, you know, that one thing? He says, ah, he says, God's pretty cool. He forgets a lot. And I'm going to say at that moment, praise God, from whom all blessings flow, that he's a forgetful God. He chooses not to know everything. Amen? And so, by the way, this is a mikvah. At the day of Pentecost, we think, we think, we're not quite sure where Peter gave his great speech. But as he's, as he's doing this great talk, you find in Acts 2, we think it was on the southern steps. And on the southern steps, you think, okay, man, I'm looking around here. They had to baptize people. Where did they baptize people? 
And there's these mikvahs all around the temple area. Uh, and so what we think is, they probably would have looked at a mikvah, and this was a, this was a ceremonial ritual cleansing place. You go down there, you clean yourself so that you could enter in. And we think that this would have been one of the places that they would have actually dipped you into so that you could be overwhelmed with Jesus. And as you see the southern steps, you notice there's a mikvah right over there about 20 yards away. It's pretty cool, and they're everywhere. And these mikvahs would have been the places where the disciples would have dipped people down and they would have come up Jesus people. So be baptized and be forgiven. And by the way, when you are forgiven, and it teaches this other place in the New Testament, I want you to be great forgivers. And there's some pretty tough teaching about if you've been forgiven but aren't a forgiver, then it's hell for you. We want to be forgiven for sure, but we want to be able to turn around and say, as God has been gracious to me, so I'm gracious to other people. So what does this mean? Repent, be baptized, get forgiven. And then this, verse 38, Peter said to them, repent, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We believe that there's two great moments in a believer's life. When they receive the Holy Spirit, when they let that spirit loose into their life. Now, what do you mean by that? If you're a Christian today, you have the Holy Spirit. Say amen. But that Holy Spirit needs your permission now to say, okay, I want to be loosed into every part of your life. It's not enough for you to be going to heaven. I want heaven to get into your money and your use of money. I want heaven to get into your sexuality. I want the Spirit of God to be all over your life, into your money, into your relationships, into your sexuality. I want the Holy Spirit to fill every nook and cranny of your existence. And that's why we celebrate the day of Pentecost. Not just can you receive the Holy Spirit, but you can let that Holy Spirit absolutely take over. That's what it means to be full of the Holy Spirit. So let me ask you, have you allowed him to do it? Have you allowed him total freedom to go into every single aspect of your life and take it over? And you're saying, ah, I'd do that. I'm good. Amen. Amen. Except that one relationship and I can't stand that person. I, I kind of hate their guts. I'll let Jesus, I'll let the Holy Spirit, I'll let the Spirit of Jesus take over my whole life, but not that relationship. And you know, by the way, we deal this a lot, again, with prisoners. I'll go out there, and I'm, I'm thinking, okay, what issue could I talk about? And I start talking about sex. Because if you're a guy out in prison, and you're holed up, you know, now maybe you don't know. But all you guys know, okay? All you guys know, hey, if I'm with a bunch of guys, and I'm created heterosexual, I'm thinking about something else besides guys. Now, do you understand what I'm saying? If, if that's not prudish enough for you, I'm just sorry. It's, 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 it's the deal, okay? And so you go out there and say, okay, including our sexuality. And they'll even say amen to that. But most prisoners, we take the next step, get awful quiet. Kind of like we do sometimes around here. They'll get awful quiet when you say, the Holy Spirit wants to come into your sexuality, and he doesn't want you to look at pornography. Amen? Few, few, fewer amens on that deal. And he doesn't want you to have sex until you get married. 
ooh, there's a hush. And I'll look up and say, amen? And there'll be one or two of them that say amen because they know they're supposed to. But they don't want to say amen to that. Who wants to say amen to that? No sex until married? What? What's that? Y'all, you let the Holy Spirit loose into every single aspect of your life, and you just start saying yes, sir, to whatever the Spirit leads you to do by His Word and by His presence with that issue. Then, it says here, the apostles' teaching. It says, verse 42, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Boy, the sign of genuine conversion many times is simply this. When someone is genuinely converted, they will say something along the lines of, teach me. I want to know more. I want to get deeper in his word. Whatever you got, I want it. I want to know more what you got. When I plumb that depth, I want to go to the next guy and get what he's got. I want to know more about this faith. Teach me more. Then it also says this, fellowship. You want to be with other Christians. And sometimes, you know, I'm an introvert. I don't want to be with other people. And uh, frankly, I'm substantial. You, know, you, you won't believe this. I know you won't believe it. But I'm a substantial introvert. So I don't all the time want to be around other people. But it's important for me to be around other people. Why? Because iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another person. I need other people. Well, we got some great groups here. Uh, you, you know, we got great groups. Celebrate Recovery. And I'm going to tell you right now, we are meeting back in the... Are we doing this next week? Back in the building next week with Celebrate Recovery because we've discovered something. Zoom relationships ain't enough for someone with an addictive personality. If they're addicted to stuff, they need other people in the room. I, they have to have it. If they don't have it, they're going to fall off the wagon. They just it's, it's hard. You need other people around you. Why? Because iron sharpens iron. Now, I've got some great Zoom groups. I love Zoom, but i got to admit, it ain't quite the same. And so it not being quite the same, we got another great group here. Lance does Samson Society. I mean, I think, Lance, wouldn't you affirm, with other men on the issues that we deal with in Samson Society, you need to be in the room. You have to be in the room. And I get it, there may come a crisis someday where you can't be in the room. But on the whole, it's great, and that's what fellowship is. We're going to fellowship together, and we're going to do things like, by, by the way, I love the Samson Society for this reason. Um, one of the things they do is they have a meeting, and they're, they're usually very provocative, interesting meetings. Then after the meeting, they, call, they have a meeting after the meeting. And the meeting after the meeting is we're going to go out and eat. Let's go out and eat. And uh, Lance tells me that's where the business really happens where you make relationships around the breaking of bread or ribs or whatever, but you, know, you get what I'm talking about. And then someone says, hey, how's that really going for you? How's your relationship with your wife? How are your kids doing? You start going to a deeper level. He said, we call the meeting after the meeting pretty important stuff. And guess what it says here? Fellowship, but also from house to house, and the breaking of bread and eating of meals together is mentioned three times. When they come into a serious relationship with Jesus Christ, they know we need one another around food. Now, I don't know about you. That's hey, woo, yeah. But there's something about eating together that's important. 
And that's why even Celebrate Recovery says, hey, before we even get in this room and start doing worship and holding one another accountable, we're going to eat together. Y'all, if you want revival at Dayspring, one of the key ways we're going to have it is to open up our homes one to another. To open up our homes and say, come on in. And by the way, we're not just going to say, come on in, friends. We're going to say, hey, people that don't know Jesus yet, we want you all to come in and let's enjoy our time together because that's the stuff of early Christianity. When they took God seriously, they started, hmm, teach me more. They started fellowship from house to house. They had breaking of bread and meals together. And then this, prayer. You know something? I think this prayer wasn't simply, hey, let's have a set-aside time. I believe it was probably that because they had three hours of prayer. But I think a lot of things happened between the three hours of prayer. I believe it's stuff like this. Someone would say, uh, Edward would say to me, you know, I'm, I'm struggling with this thing, and, and I don't think whoever Edward was talking to, that the, the guy said, you know, let's wait to the next hour of prayer and pray about that. I think they just said, Jesus, Edward just said something important, and he needs your touch right now. He needs your help right now. We're going to praise you as the God who gives us help, and we're going to pray for that help for Edward right now. I believe there was three hours of prayer that they were in the temple for. I also believed when something came up, they prayed right then and right there. And I believe that kind of prayer had tremendous impact. we got to keep moving. The next one here, the next thing here is financial liberty. No, 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 no. All signs and wonders. Mm, we're done. That's too many sermons. I'm going to, we're going to be here another half hour. Anybody wants to be here another half hour? Edward, God bless you. Janice, thank you. You're my best friends. Other things happen. We'll talk about that next week. I don't have to prepare for next week. I'm ready to go. Y'all, it was real. The Spirit fell, and extraordinary things were happening. They're not rocket science things. They're not even strange things. They're beautiful things. Uh, can you get to the very last thing, the, my Bible? Huh. I was showing this to someone by Zoom. Doesn't show up very good on Zoom. Doesn't show up very good here. But can you see that last 43 through 47? Can you see the word I have written across the whole thing? When the spirit of love fills us up, that's... What happens? This paragraph is what will happen. Now, love is not mentioned one time in this chapter. The word doesn't show up one time, but I believe it's fully displayed right there. If you guys want to have the spirit of love come into you and fill you to the very brim, that's the stuff that's going to be happening. It didn't just happen back in the early church. Everywhere today where there's substantial revival and Jesus is on the move, it happens in that place as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you, Dayspring. Thank you very much.